This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, August the 8th, 2006. Ah, yes, indeed. August the 8th. August the 8th. Oh, yes, Nagasaki. The bomb. The bomb. The loss of innocence. Ah... First Hiroshima, then Nagasaki. I remember I was coming out of a movie. I was down in San Diego. I had taken the bus up from La Jolla. I think I was 11 or 12. My mother let me run around and do things like that. And I I saw all the sailors in the street. They were singing. Everybody was hooping it up because we had dropped that bomb. Not to think about it. Not to think about it today. I'll think about that tomorrow. Yes, 61 years ago that was. Oh, the world is a a woman. The woman is someone who can be seduced. The woman in the world, she can be conquered by force or she can be raped. War is a kind of rape of our own species. Ah. That's what the bomb was, yes, the ultimate desecration. A wise man or a wise nation can win, can win the world or a woman with diplomacy. He can persuade her or a nation that their relationship can be of mutual benefit, you know. Um, use a little charm. Our present diplomacy-free foreign policy is crude, to say the least. Not the kind of uh, thing most women respond to, to invade a country, especially a country halfway around the world, whose history and culture are not just foreign, but almost unknown to the neocon establishment in Washington, (laughs) D.C. I don't know. Yes, whether they've ever heard of Mesopotamia. Anyway, it's like attacking a woman from another part of town with the expectation that she will be grateful that you're showing an interest. Yes, paying attention to her. This is beyond male chauvinism. This is crass. This is doomed to failure. That gang in Washington... um, ah, It's beyond hubris and arrogance. They act as if... This invasion of the Middle East were... uh, Yes, it's a kinder, gentler colonialism. That's what they've got. Yes, they've got in their heads. They think of it as a gift to these ungrateful folk. Yes. Historically, we know that conquerors have created workable relationships with the conquered. Uh, There were always drawbacks, after all. Uh, (laughs) Poking eye with sharp stick is just that. But tribes... Groups of human beings have learned to live together, have merged, conqueror and conquered. Uh, In the distant past, there were many experiments. Um, In recent history, let's see. Oh, India, China, Tibet, let's see. Groups, tribes, mingle, nations and their peoples assimilate. But the truth is, that uh, it's never perfect. As a matter of fact, it is often the case that the old wounds, the old blood bubbles up 
and the wounds fester beneath the skin, you know, beneath the surface reality. Injustices can be repressed for centuries. Then, you know, uh, they break loose in violent reaction, genocide. Uh, check out Eastern Europe, uh, Africa. Oh, my God, Africa, Indonesia, you name it. Nationalism is like a global disease. Uh, these border wars, this pushing and shoving and the fight for resources now, the water wars coming. It forces men to attack other nations. You know, the otherism is a kind of tragic flaw in our species, in our psychological makeup. The anthropologists tell us that this may have helped us evolve at an early stage. Yes, uh, yes, the folks across the river were kind of weird, yes. But now, this, this, uh, this development, this thing in our brain, it threatens to do us in. We are obsessed with other isms. We demand an enemy, you know. It seems to me that our government can't function without one. Uh, the Cold War and then, uh, now terrorism and China next, whatever. Uh, they, they can't, uh, talk or, uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, um, put themselves together in the morning without being told who they must attack. They must find another race or gender or culture or, oh, especially another god, yes. The best symbol of all. Um, alien gods. Somehow, this cerebral cortex we've got, or the whole nervous system, our central nervous system, it's this bundle of synaptic ganglia, and they're certainly not sympathetic. Um, maybe they are antipathetic. Their antipathy for beings unlike themselves has taken them, taken us, all of us, to the edge of extinction. <laughs> Could happen, could happen, folks. Oh, dear. Lately I noticed that a lot of human beings have more empathy uh, across species. They're fonder of their dogs and cats. And then the odd grizzly bear, you know, that film about the grizzly bears. The guy who's fonder of grizzly bears than people. They're out there, all these people out there hugging lions and sharks are so desperate. Of course, they often get killed by these wild creatures, but uh, you can't blame an animal. Uh, just doing what comes naturally. It's funny. Uh, I do not regard human beings as doing what comes naturally. I think we have to be taught to kill, but maybe I've got it all wrong. Maybe my anthropology is all wrong. Maybe these people are just dumb beasts. Maybe they can't be blamed for doing what they do. The Timothy McVeighs, that sort of thing. Today, I brought with me uh, something by Martha Gellhorn. Because I'm looking, I'm looking for the women who write, uh, who are trying to find uh, causes, sources. Martha Gellhorn is a woman my parents' age. She was born 1908, died 1998. 
was once married to uh, Ernest Hemingway, yes. <laughs> she wrote a book called The Face of War. And I'm going to read you a little excerpt. Uh, she talks about 50 years of the bloody 20th century. She started out writing about the Spanish Civil War. And then she went through, you know, all the wars in Europe and the two world wars. Uh, her point, of course, is that war is a horrible repetition. I would say that the war is always on. I think of that Freikorps in Germany, uh, the guys that kept things going between the wars um, so that Hitler's warrior class was ready and you know, all set to go again. Uh, uh, let's see. As, of course, Martha says, there's got to be a better way to run the world. <laughs> so let's get to it. Let me see. She calls herself part of the Federation of Cassandras. Uh, let me just read you this little bit here in the middle. She says, Despite official drivel about clean bombs and tactical nuclear weapons, anyone who can read a newspaper or listen to a radio knows that some of us mortals have the power to destroy the human race and man's home on earth. We need not even make war. Only by preparing, by playing with our new weapons, we poison the air, the water, the soil of our planet, damage the health of the living, weaken the chances of the unborn. How can anyone, anywhere, discount the irreversible folly of testing our nuclear bombs or the promise of extinction if we use them in war? I have a footnote here in my book. Yes, I think of Helen Caldecott's line. She writes, a baby is a baby is a baby that comes to my mind because I'm looking at one here in the, <laughs> here in the studio. Yes, a tuning fork. I think of them as tuning forks. Sweet little baby sitting there with the engineer on the board. Ah, Martha Gellhorn goes on to say, the world's leaders seem strangely engaged in private feuds. They hurtle in airplanes on their Olympian business. They meet each other, always each other. Or they deliberate in the various palaces of government. They talk and they talk incessantly for publication. Their talk sounds as if they believe nuclear war to be a thing that can be won or lost. And that it's probable any minute now, without warning, you see. Uh, be calm, she says. We will slay the enemy, yes. We will slay the enemy, they tell us with our superspace, supersonic, triple intercontinental, X-ray guided, anti-offensive, defensive missiles. Do not fear. We will burn the foe with our best, smallest, deadliest, fission, unfission, defission, profission bombs. Meanwhile, my comrades, my people, fellow citizens, loyal subjects, your service is civil defense. Dig a little blast-proof hole in your backyard and wait for the apocalypse. <laughs> the world's leaders appear to have lost touch with life down here on the ground they seem to have forgotten the human beings they lead or perhaps the lead so numerous and mute have ceased to be quite real not living people but calculated casualties <laughs> ah yes collateral damage we are led we must follow whether we want to or not there is no place to secede to
But we need not follow in silence. We still have the right, the duty as private citizens, to keep our own records straight. As one of the millions of the lead, I will not be herded any farther along this imbecile road to nothingness without raising my voice in protest. My no will be as effective as one cricket chirp. <laughs> my footnote here, yes. One frail feminist fist in the air, yes. One foolish voice in the wilderness. Um, Martha Gellorn goes on to write, We hardly remember who fought the Wars of the Roses or why. Yet those wars lasted for thirty years. Ah, uh, it must have been a deep, dark night for the combatants and the civilians trapped in them. Still, we are here. The natural world remained healthy, nourishing, and lovely. The race continued uninfected in its bones, its blood, its minds. From the earliest wars of men to our last heartbreaking worldwide effort, all we could do was kill ourselves. Now we are able to kill the future. I will repeat that, yes, now we are able to kill the future. We are so arrogant that we dare to prepare for this. Insane pygmies menacing the very existence of nature 500 years from now. Our east-west quarrel will seem as meaningless as the wars of the roses. Who are we that we presume to end anything? Uh, at this point I hear loud and angry voices, as passionate as mine own, saying, Survival is not all. If men will not fight against tyrants and slavery, life is worthless and civilization should perish, etc. I cannot understand this argument, although I have tried. I do not see how the human spirit, housed in the human body, will be able to cherish freedom revere the rights of others and practice its highest talent, love, when the earth is sterile from man-made poisons, when the air is tainted and the race sick and dying. I do not see what human values can be defended when all humanity is lost, both good and evil together. If we make or allow war, then we deserve it. Ah, uh, uh, we must keep our crime under control and limit our weapons and our locales. We will have to satisfy the madness that is in human nature with these small non-nuclear wars, yes. Ah, uh, wars of a type that we're getting used to, more and more used to. It is in our ancient tradition to murder each other, but only we in the present should pay the price for our abominable stupidity. Nothing that concerns us in our brief moment of history gives us the right to stop time, to blot out the future, to end the continuing miracles and glories and tragedies and wretchedness of the human race. There is a single plot in war. Action is based on hunger, on homelessness, on fear, pain, and death. 
starving wounded children in Barcelona in 1938. And the children today, they're all the same, refugees dragging themselves and whatever they could carry from war to no safety. They're one people all over the globe, the shapeless bundle of a dead American soldier in the snow of Luxembourg was like any other soldier's corpse in any other country. War is a horrible repetition. I wrote very fast as I had to. I was always afraid that I would forget the exact sound, smell, words, gestures, which were special to this moment and this place. I hope I learned to write a bit better as the years passed. The point of my articles is that they are true. They tell what I saw. Perhaps they will remind others as they remind me of the face of war. We can hardly be reminded too much or too often. I believe that memory and imagination, not nuclear weapons, are the great deterrents. Let's see, I'm skipping around in this article, The Face of War. Let me read you just a little more. She's an amazing woman, Martha Gellhorn. She's one of my heroes, uh, in spite of being married to Ernest Hemingway, although I, I'm sure that was fun. Uh, <laughs> they got along rather well, considering um, Hemingway did seem to need a series of wives to keep him on track. Uh, yes, Martha Gellhorn. I think of her as kind of an Amy Goodman of my mother's generation. She writes... It took nine years and a great depression and two wars ending in defeat and one surrender without war to break my faith in the benign power of the press. Gradually I came to realize that people will more readily swallow lies than truth. As if the taste of lies was homey, appetizing, a habit. There were also liars in my trade, journalism. And leaders have always used facts as relative and malleable. The supply of lies was unlimited. The good people, those who opposed evil wherever they saw it, never increased beyond a gallant minority. The manipulated millions could be aroused or soothed by any lies. The guiding light of journalism was no stronger than a glowworm. I belong, yes, to a federation of Cassandras, my colleagues, the foreign correspondents whom I met at every disaster. Yes, they had been reporting the rise of fascism, its horrors, its sure menace for years. If anyone listened to them, no one acted on their warnings. The doom they had long prophesied arrived on time, bit by bit as scheduled. In the end, we became solitary stretcher-bearers trying to pull individuals free from the wreckage. If a life could be saved from the first of the Gestapo in Prague or another from behind the uh, barbed wire, that was a comfort, but uh, it was hardly journalism. Drag, scheming, bullying, and dollars occasionally preserved one human being at a time. <laughs> drag, she says. I suppose that means dressing as a woman. Anyway, I'm interrupting Martha. For all the good our articles did, they might have been written in invisible ink, printed on leaves, and loosed to the wind. 
After the war in Finland, I thought of journalism as a passport. You needed these proper papers and a job to get a ringside seat at the spectacle of history in the making. In the Second World War, all I did was praise the good, brave, generous people I saw. Knowing this to be a perfectly useless performance, when occasion presented, I reviled the devils whose mission was to deny the dignity of man. That was also useless. I took an absurd professional. Pride、uh, in getting where I intended to go, and in sending my copy to New York on time. I couldn't fool myself, though. Ah,、oh, I could not fool myself that my war correspondence work mattered a hoot. War is a malignant disease, an idiocy, a prison. The pain it causes is beyond telling, beyond imagining. But war was our condition and our history, the place we had to live in. I was a special type of war profiteer. I was physically lucky. I was paid to spend my time with magnificent people. After the victory in World War Two, I hung on in the climate of war for another year. Since the peace was uneasy and finally unconvincing, at last in Java I saw the post-war new style little war, and I knew I never wanted to see any more of it again anywhere. Probably that pathetic murderous mess in the East Indies was inevitable. The tall white men had been conquered and debased by short yellow men. Why should anyone accept the white man as master again? The Dutchmen of the Indies returned like skeletons and ghosts from Japanese prisons, and from building the Japanese death railway through the jungle. Their sick, starved women and children emerged from years in Japanese concentration camps on Java. Immediately, they were set upon by the natives they had tried to rule with care and decency. Both the Indonesians <clears throat> and the Dutch needed time to heal from the war, time to find a just plan for their lives. There was no time. Nothing anybody wrote was going to shorten this torment, nor save one victim, white or brown. Journalism, at its best and most effective, is education. Apparently, people would not learn for themselves; would not learn from others. If the agony of the Second World War did not teach them, whatever would? Surely, the post-war world is a mockery of hope and an insult to all those who died so that we should survive. Until the invention of the A bomb, the H bomb, the Cobalt bomb, or whatever comes next. We could reasonably consider human history to be a giant, interminable roller coaster going up and down. The ceaseless but temporary riders on the roller coaster changed their clothes, carried new luggage, talked in varying jargons, yet remained men, women, and children, constant in their humanity. The unique possession anyone on the roller coaster had, as far as I could see, was his own behavior while making the mysterious journey.
Each one is responsible for his own behavior. No behavior is final. It shapes human destiny. Any behavior, all behavior. Makes no last decision. Victory and defeat are both passing moments. There are no ends. There are only means. Journalism is a means, and I now think that the act of keeping the record straight is valuable in itself. Serious, careful, honest journalism is essential, not because it is a guiding light, but only because it is a form of honorable behavior involving the reporter and the reader. I am no longer a journalist. Like all other private citizens, the only record I have to keep straight is my own. And Martha Gellhorn goes on to say more about the ways in which human nature is a constant. How the thing just repeats and repeats. I think of the ending of the movie 1984, the one with John Hurt and Richard Burton. Uh, when Winston, the central character in 1984, has been completely brainwashed. He's now one of the lead, and he sits in the cafe, listening to the song, yes, under the spreading chestnut tree, where I sold you and you sold me. Watches the television, Big Brother is showing the, <laughs> the wars between Eurasia and um, Afro-Atlantis or whatever, all the new... Um, the new uh, clusters, groups of uh, what I guess we would call nation-states. Let's say that new crescent, yes, the Shiite crescent that is stretching across the Middle East, that will be the, the next one. Never mind, I think I will finish today with Edna St. Vincent Millay's poem, O Earth, Unhappy Planet, Born to Die. Edna Millay was born in 1892 and uh, died in 1956. She lived just long enough to know that we had these uh, uh, doomsday bombs. This is part of a series of uh, sonnets titled Epitaph for the Race of Man. This one is called, O Earth, Unhappy Planet Born to Die. Might I your scribe and your confessor be? What wonders must you not relate to me of man? Who, when his destiny was high, strode like the sun into the middle sky and shone an hour? And who so bright as he, and like the sun, went down into the sea, leaving no spark to be remembered by? But no, you have not learned in all these years to tell the leopard and the newt apart. Man, with his singular laughter, his droll tears, his engines and his conscience and his art, made but a simple sound upon your ears, the patient beating of the animal heart. That's Edna St. Vincent Millay's poem from her Sonnet sequence, epitaph for the race of man. Uh, amazingly prophetic when you consider that it was written, uh, oh, let's see, uh, more than half a century ago. <laughs>
time has nothing to do with it, folks. We have always known where we were going. I will be at uh, La Pena tomorrow night. I won't be reading myself. There's a poets gathering. I wanted to mention it to you because there will be some poets from Lebanon uh, at La Pena tomorrow night. That's Wednesday, the 9th of August at Cafe Poetry, $7.32 donation, uh, hosted by Kira Allen. I don't know who else will be there. Call La Pena and find out. There have been uh, several people who called me to say that there will be a special crowd of poets. 849-2568 is La Pena. 849-2568. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, this has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadow out of For Tuesday, August 8, 2006, this is Free Speech Radio News. From KPFK in L.A., I'm Aura Bogado. The U.S. Secretary of Energy encourages the opening of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to further oil exploration. The U.N. Security Council and the